Ohio's on Fire podcast. So I'd like to thank Libby Ballinger and Terry Izzy Rock Martin for making the Gym State podcast over the last seven years. They recently made a decision to put it on hold. It might come back in the future, but I do want to say thank you for putting on a great show over the years entertaining the Ohio audience. Also, Ohio's on Fire podcast would like to thank Darren Watts, MI3, AJ Fink, and Karen Fink for financial contributions to the Ohio's on Fire podcast this month. This is the show where Ohio throws down. Ohio is on fire, the podcast. I am the host, Daniel Diesel, and on the on this episode, I have an interview with Lisa Wagner. She is a woman of many talents, and she is involved in Dayton, Ohio community very greatly, as just recently, she was a poll worker for the 2020 election, and she'll share some stories on how the election process work on a local level. She shares her end of the story, and things that people all, I don't think know goes into voting when election day happens very interesting she's also greatly involved with the levette pavilion of dayton ohio it's a wonderful music venue in downtown dayton but she is a major creative force behind that and she shares some stories on how she helps makes these concerts every year it's been around for a few years and she shares big news on what they plan on doing for 2021 but before we get to that i have some news um a friend of mine and a friend of the show, James Crabtree, he had some trouble recently. Some serious issues um, arise with the music equipment that he has owned for quite some time. And I'll read the story because he needs help, like real bad help. Um, he had music equi equipment stolen from him. And I'll read the story that was written on his behalf. I'll tell you the website in just a minute. Of course, this was written by Amber Zimmerman, who's helping James Crabtree. And I'll tell you how you can help him. And then read the story real quick. Late Halloween night, the North Dixie self-storage units in Vendelia, where James Crabtree has a small storage unit, was vandalized and a few units were broken into. His unit was one of the ones with the lock cut out. Every single piece of music equipment he owned was stolen out of that unit. It was being stored temporarily while transitioning from a recent move. He literally lost every guitar, amp, microphone, stomp box, stand, preamp, recording gear, and cable he ever owned. It has added up to be over $12,000 in instruments and audio recording equipment so far, along with several other things of importance, including some of his last sentimental items attached to his parents. And if possible, please help James get back to work on his multiple music projects and creative endeavors. Anything that can be donated would be a great blessing for us both and very much appreciated. And yes, this is serious. Um, 
James Crabtree, he's been a friend of mine for a few years, and he has supported my podcast. He's been, his band's been on my show before, so he, he has supported me in the past. Not financially, but just general support. He listens to it. And this is really terrible what happened to him. He, this music collection that got stolen from him, pretty much, he's been collecting that since he was a little kid. Like, he's loved music all of his life. This is, a, this is literally a lifetime of his equipment that was just taken from by a bunch of evil idiots. This is, a, this is an act of evil when stuff like this happens. And makes you, it just makes me sick to my stomach. And that just, I mean, that upsets me just hearing about it. And I can't imagine how he feels. You know, dang, over $12,000 worth of equipment was stolen from him. And that's his life's work. And we need to help James Crabtree. I want to help him. I need to get the word out. Because just recently, a GoFundMe was launched in his honor. GoFundMe.com. The, the article is called, Help James Crabtree Replace His Stolen Music Gear. So that's why we're the article that just now, that's why I'm read off. Of course, this is it was written, and of course, the campaign is being headed by Amber Zimmerman. And right now, fifty dollars has been raised. All they're asking for is three thousand dollars. That's a portion of how much the stuff he was stolen, he had stolen from him. He just wants three thousand. Of course, it's the holidays. You know, Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming up. I like to think that his friends and his peers will chip in as the holidays come, as a gift to him. So I'm gonna go ahead and plug this on this episode. But his goal is $3,000. Let's make Christmas great for James Crabtree. Really awful losing all that equipment. Um, it had stolen from him. So there's no wonder if um, the equipment will end up on the black market somewhere. Or perhaps it was trash. Maybe these idiots didn't even care. They Maybe they just threw it in, like, in a trash can somewhere and dumped it off forever like in a lake. There's no telling what happened to this equipment. And this is very devastating. I saying I couldn't imagine being James going through that. His heart is in a rough place right now because of this. And I want to help him. I'm going to use my platform on my show to spread the word on this recently launched GoFundMe, raise money so James Crabtree can buy some new equipment. Fingers crossed, maybe the cops can find the equipment because it's been reported to the police. Maybe it will show up somehow what he had stolen from him. Hopefully there's a happy ending to this. And like I said, he, you just never know. what It, it was from the storage unit in Vendelia. Usually storage units, they, they're usually bulletproof. They used to be really good. Now I can't say that this always happens to this company out in Vendelia that had this happen to them. I, I don't want to give any review or anything, but... That's just uncalled for, though. Like, if I wasn't put in my place, you know, like, my things of my value um, in a storage unit, I expect it to be safe. Because there's a bunch of them right here in Montgomery County and Greene County. People put their life's work in these storage units because they need a place to go with them. And it needs to be safe. And I'm, I'm, I have a strong take on this. I think James, if he could get a lawyer, he should sue um, the storage unit out in Vendelia. If he's in, I don't know if he's a lawsuit type or not. I don't know if he's interested in that. But dang it, I I would suggest he sue. Like they are liable because they're supposed to keep his stuff safe, and it was not. These evil idiots, whoever got a hold of his equipment, they broke in somehow. And there's gotta be repercussions. Hopefully, I guess I suggest he he files a lawsuit. 
But with any luck, maybe the cops will find these morons, throw them in jail for grand theft. This is more than this is way more than grand theft. This is up there. This is like at least five years in prison right here. And yeah, I can't say enough how sickening it is. What happens? He's one of the great artists here in Miami Valley, and he's been good to me over the years. He's been good to the community. So let's help him out. So once again, it's GoFundMe.com. I will have, I will link the description of this website in, on the episode, my episode release. You'll definitely be able to link to it. And I'm I'm gonna try to promote it for my um, website at Facebook, which is Facebook.com/slash/HarlemsOnFirePodcast. I'll definitely link it there a few times. Let's help him out. He is raising his goal is three thousand. He had just launched just earlier this week. He's raised fifty so far. So that once again, let's help let's help James Crabtree this holiday season. Let's help him buy new stuff and he continues life's work. It had stolen from him from bad people, and that's not fair. Let's keep the magic going. Let's have let's make the magic happen this holiday season for Mr. James Crabtree. I am Amber Hargett, and this is my band, The Who's Who, and we are so so pleased to be at the Levitt Pavilion. What a lovely gem in our. Uh, Gem City. So thank you all for listening and um, for loving us and for supporting the Levitt, which is incredibly important here. So uh, don't stop supporting local music and being part of this wonderful community in whatever capacity that you can right now. How about another one, shall we?
back with the Ohio's on Fire podcast. I am Daniel Diesel and I am with my guests for this episode. This lady is very active in the Dayton, Ohio community. She does a lot of things and she loves her life. We're going to find out about it. I am with Lisa Wagner. Say hello, Lisa. Hello, Ohio is on fire. Oh, I love it. Thank you, Lisa. But yes, as we did this recording, there was a major news that happened in our country. We will have a 46th president and Joe Biden. What do you think of Joe Biden becoming the new president? Well, you know what? I want. I really want what's best for this country. And I think that um, if the country, you know, I think healing is the biggest piece of what we need in the next yes. four years. And, uh, you know, the process... I was lucky enough to work the polls on Tuesday and, you know, there was a moment where we had a tremendous line and, you know, we were thanking people for being patient. And this man said, are you kidding? This is awesome. He's like, I'm so, we are so lucky that we get to do this. And it caused me to pause because I think that as Americans, sometimes we take for granted the liberties uh, and the freedoms that we have. And it really made me proud that we do have a voice, our voices matter. And, you know, I think at this election showed more than anything, how important it is for people to get out and vote. And really, I would encourage people to vote every election because our local and state governments, as we saw with the pandemic, 
are the ones that really are closer to us and affecting us on a daily basis. So yeah. get out and use your voice um, to make sure that you know, you're having a say in what's affecting you directly. Um, so I, I was I was really impressed with the process. I I did it, well, I did it because they did a call for volunteers, but I, I really wanted to see it for myself. I wanted yeah. to understand it. Um, and I walked away with such a, uh, a huge, huge uh, amount of respect for our Board of Elections um, in Montgomery County, what a well-oiled machine we have in this community. Yep. I was so proud to be a part of it. Yeah, they're amazing. Go ahead, Lisa. No, I mean, it was just great, you know, seeing first-time voters coming through, that was pretty, pretty emotional, you know, just to see how proud they were to cast their first vote. Um, it just, yeah. it renews your faith in, in, in the system. So I... You know, I have a real hard time uh, seeing what we have to go through at the polls as election workers to validate whether or not you're, you know, legitimate voter or not. I, you know, I don't know what happens back at the Board of Elections with absentee ballots or mail-in, you know, ballots, but yeah, I, um, I certainly that. have, you know, a lot of faith in, in the system, so... Absolutely. And you were talking about all the people that voted. They're, they're saying that a record 148 million American citizens voted in this 2020 election, which is, yeah, that smashes the previous record. And I think a lot of people are now involved in politics. They care more about what's going on in the process of electing officials. So I think you said that more people should vote for the elections that we have every every May. We have primary, April and May, there's primaries throughout all the states. And every November, there is some type of election, whether it's for the president or not. I think a lot more people will be voting than maybe they did in years past when I was growing up. Um, yeah, the only time people cared about voting was when the president, the president's job was on the line. So I think things yeah. are changing when it comes to that. And I did want to, yeah, I want to dive in a little bit deeper on the poll. You, you, you were a volunteer for the poll election officer within Dane, Ohio. So I'm just curious, what exactly... What was your role doing this, Lisa Wagner? What did you have to do? Well, so to even become one, you have to go through a training process. So there yeah. were a bunch of like, you know, YouTube videos that we had to watch. And then they had in-person training, just kind of, you know, giving us a sense of what to expect on the day of the election. And so when we got there at 530, you know, we had to set it all up. I mean, for the most part, like the stand-up stations were set up, the tables and chairs were set up, but there's so many other things that you have to do on the day of the election that um, you're breaking the seal of, you know, certain items so that there's honesty and integrity involved. Yeah. Um, you know, so it took us a while because a lot of us were first-time workers, and then we all took stations, and, you know, the as everybody knows, as you come through, those are all volunteers. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, I actually, they pay us to be there. And I, I told them I didn't want to get paid. And they said, well, donate it to your favorite nonprofit. Yeah. And I, thought, oh, I, I know I have a favorite nonprofit, so I can just <laughs> make a donation to that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But um, I do. When, I'm just curious. Um, when people count the votes like you did, 
or how long, uh, how many hours do you guys spend counting votes? Give a ballpark estimate. So, how long? Yeah, so I was at the precinct, so I didn't get to count the votes. Oh, okay. um, but I was um, actually one of the representatives. You have a Democratic and a Republican representative take the ballot boxes from the precinct, you know, polling locations down to the Board of Elections. Okay. And then at the Board of Elections, they actually tabulate and count everything. Um, they down there. Okay. I mean, that's good. Yeah. I, um, so we took all of that data down after 7.30 when we, you know, when we closed, we went through all these closing procedures and then I drove down, you know, with the other representative to drop it off. Um, okay. So I didn't get to see, I would, I, I am kind of curious. I'd love to see that part of it, but I don't know how, I, I don't know how that works. Um, uh, you know, I do imagine they work many hours because they the, the, the count all those votes. I'm thinking it's probably at least an eight hour work day. So I mean, I'll just, because I've never done it myself. I mean, maybe one day I might consider it being part of the election process, but, but you got to do it. So I'm just wondering what you learned during your time do, doing the working the election polls. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, I mean, it was a longer than an eight hour day if you were working at the voting locations. Okay. So I can't imagine what the Board of, Edu uh, Board of Elections was, um, what their day was like, because they had people you know, standing by the, the phone in case we all had trouble. And we did have a couple, um, you know, getting set up. We were worried that we didn't have a couple pieces of, you know, equipment. And then, you know, they were real responsive. So it's a long day for them. I don't know if they, like I said, I don't have a sense of what actually happened down at the Board of Elections, if their day started at 7.30, like when we're, you know, if they have another shift of people that are coming in to count. Um, but that would be fascinating to learn. I, I just I just can't say enough how proud I was to be an American that day. It was really, I mean, awesome. it was an amazing process. All right. Now, with that being said, um, I know in the last few years, podcasting has really exploded in the course of podcasting. There's, all, there's always these conversations. There's been a lot of deep conversation. And I think it's important to have that because right now in our country, we're being nicknamed the divided states of America, not the United States of America, because there's hatred on both sides. They hate, the left hates the right. The right hates the left. Everything in between hates everyone else or whatnot. So we, we're kind of in a dark period in this country. Um, I want to know from you... Um, for the, for this um the for this divisiveness to go away, what do you think is a good first step for people to take to get over any ill will or hatred they may have for other people or segments of this population? What do you think is a good first step? You know, I really believe that um, one of the tenets that I try to live my life by is you know, is based in faith and that is, you know, love one another. And yes. um, also, you know, treating people the way that you want to be treated, those, those, those core elements. And honestly, the, the, the moderation of, um, you know, I know that people have strong feelings and they're extremely passionate and they want to have a voice but I think that doing it at the cost of hurting other people 
it it loses value. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I grew up in a house that we disagreed and, and we had great um, debates about politics, about foreign policy, about, you know, really just about everything. Yeah. And at the end of the, at the end of the evening, we all hugged and kissed each other and moved on with our lives. And it, even if we didn't agree, and so, you know, I, I don't, um, because at the bottom, bottom line is we have to live together. We all have yeah. to learn how to live together and being, um, divided is we're not going to get stuff done, we have to be united and we have to be able to be open to listening. I think that there's not a lot of listening going on, yeah, active listening. Yes, active listening. I think people are listening and already thinking about what it is that they want to say. They're not being respectful in the way that they listen to people. Yeah. Um, and I think that there are some of those core things that everybody needs to take a big deep breath and kind of reel it in and and go back to those core values of being respectful and um, <laughs> and and tolerant and you know and and all of that i i it's it's core i mean i just i don't understand it i really don't and i don't understand um you know i understand activism i understand being passionate about being part of the change yes. but i don't think that you have to tear people down in order to have change i agree with that absolutely Lisa. i agree with 100 percent so conversations, you know, are critical, but you can't have one-sided conversations. A conversation is two people or more exchanging ideas, and you can't do it if everybody's screaming and yelling at one another and they're not listening. So getting back to the art of conversation would be a real interesting um, exploration and, and exercise. You know, I think that would be... Uh, maybe maybe a start. And I think that podcasts like these open people's minds because they do have to actively listen. You know, they have yes, to they kind of, they hear both sides um, and that opens maybe their minds to something that maybe they weren't thinking about previously. So that's, it's really important. And I think when people hear deep conversation, uh, that inspires them to have their own deep conversations. And I, I am... Because I know friends and family, you know, over the last five years, I mean, you know, they were like falling out. Friends were in their friendships because of what happened in the 2016 election. Now people are starting to act. Hatred was really on the rise. You know, all these, all these extreme hate groups were starting to feel like they had a say. And people were joining those. People were getting radicalized. And the people that didn't want to be radicalized, they didn't know how to stop it. And I think it was, it's, I, I think with any wave, it was just a wave of that. I do feel like we're now taking a major step and getting back on the road of maybe being de-radicalized and we go back to the way things were like maybe in early 2010s. And it kind of dragged you up in because I had a good conversation with someone about this months back. Uh, I think she had said that it was going to take a, her, her Hurricane-like effort a hurricane-like effort for people to change if they want things to change. They got to really try, and I think we saw that this past week with this election. 
I think people who didn't feel like they had a voice before, they went out of their way to finally do that, and in record numbers, that is. So I think that's yeah. the um, hurricane-like effort right there, um, just being strong and really ending the, anything that was making them angry or doubtful. They wanted to put an end to that. So we've done that, but now we've got to take a bunch of baby steps to get back to the right to get back to where this country was how it was when i was growing up when we when we loved one another when 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 the 9 11 attacks happened we stood up for one another and i miss that country i think we will get back to that eventually but it's going to take a little a little longer before we get there and i think we got to take the steps and there's probably going to be at least a thousand of these steps yeah i think you're correct though I think you're right. I I do want to say, though, I want to point out that it was not a landslide win. No, it wasn't. So there is still a part of America that feels differently than the majority that elected Biden. If, you know, if he's, if he absolutely, at this point, we don't, right? I think that they're projecting him as the... They're projecting him. I guess there's still doubt, but... Yeah. Right. But, you know, allow the process to happen. And and so, again, you know, we have to be respectful that not everyone may think like us. And so trying to be sensitive to the fact that, I don't know, it just gets back to this thing of, like, think about the playground. When somebody was, you know, there's a winner and a loser. And, and, and did the winner go and go, yo, you know, hey, I, I'm the winner, you're the loser, let's, you know, it's shaking hands and being gentlemen and gentle ladies and saying, great match, thank you for the, you know, for the sport or whatever. Good like, let's go back to being classy. Let's, yeah. that's, that's the key element. Um, because I'll be honest with you, I, I, as an American, I was a little disappointed that these were the best two candidates that we had. Uh-huh. And I hope that um, over the next four years, uh, both parties are, you know, work on giving the American public a, a better choice. Uh, even, yeah. you know, obviously the incumbent, whichever way it goes, you know, may that like Biden may not run again, but you know, Kamala or Kamala might, but yeah, she might. Republicans, they'd have to yeah, present and, for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's that piece of when you think about the way that the American public acts towards politicians and the way that they get raked through the, you know, through, especially with some of the media, they get raked through the coals. Why would anybody want to run? So we're, we're losing out on really great people that could lead and run this country in a solid way. And, you know, so anyway, that's, that's my two cents. I, that's you know, I, your, your two cents is very valued here. And, you know, I'm hopeful. I know it wasn't a good year for it, but I'm hopeful one day we have a good third party candidate emerge. And because I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of just being two big choices. It's either this or that. I think that's that's something else that's causing divisiveness right there. I think there is a third option, and I think that option has to be someone who is straight up bipartisan. They are more than willing to bring people together because they're not on either side. They're on a brand new side. And I think the independents, I think within the next 10 years, 
this is just my prediction. I do think um, a party like say the Libertarian Party, I do think they will start to make headwaves in this country. I think they need they need to do a better job of promoting themselves locally because they go for the president's job, but they have no presentation whatsoever at the mayor role. If, if not the Libertarian Party, then maybe some new party um, they'll figure it out and have a better plan. They just need to read they, we, that idea needs to reach people on all levels, and if, if someone can do that. We'll have some serious change in this country, and I think that's when the divisiveness that we have now, I think it can completely go away. But until then, the, we have what we have. It's either the left or the right. That's what we got to do. Yeah, I think, I think that when you're talking about, you know, the thinking about how this country was founded, having a government that is representative of the people, yeah. Not sure we have that right now. Mm. Um, and you know, for years, for I'd say probably the last um, few elections, probably in the I would say probably the last decade plus, I've often said um, in my with my friends that if I was doing the job that a lot of people in Washington were doing right now, I would have been fired a long time ago. Mm. And I think sometimes we get worried about, you know, um, firing incumbents. And I'm talk talking more about, you know, our congressmen, our senators and things like that because of the way that it's structured. And so I, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of work there. I think that we need term limits. We, you know, I think things like that will kind of rejuvenate, um, our government and yeah. I th that would bring real change. I agree with that, Lisa. I don't think they should get to vote. I don't think they should get to vote for their um, salary increases. <laughs> and That's I think true. that whatever health care they have, we should all have. Like, I think sometimes, like, we the people, <laughs> you know, I, there's just, anyway, I could go on and on, but yeah, it's crazy. There's some crazy things that I think need to be fixed. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that.
Executive Director for um, Levitt Pavilion Dayton, and that is a local nonprofit 501c3 organization that is charged with running and operating and programming this gorgeous space in downtown Dayton. We are oh. part of a, um, we are in our charge, our mission is building community through the power of music, one free concert at a time. So our commitment is to do 50 free concerts every summer. 
And the um, spirit of this is based upon the philanthropic focus of Mortimer, Le Mortimer Levitt, who was an immigrant living in New York City in the Depression. And his father had a cart outside of New York City where they were trying to make a living. And he could hear the live entertainment, but they were so impoverished that he could never afford entry. And as he um, grew older, he left school to go into the garment industry, um, as many young people did back in the Depression. Didn't you know? He wasn't able to finish his high school education, and ended up becoming extremely successful. Um, not only with the custom suits and shirt shops that franchised all over the United States, but with real estate investments. So he was a millionaire by was third by the time he was thirty years old, and he and his wife Mimi. Yeah. We're very, very committed to donating money specifically within the arts in New York City to create access for children because he didn't want children to feel what he felt mm -hmm. as a young boy. And um, the, the pavilion was born in Westport, Connecticut, where Mimi and Mortimer had a home and would go in the summertime and they were taking... Uh, uh, the community of Westport was taking a landfill area and they were going to convert it into a beautiful outdoor amphitheater. And they asked them if they would come on as a lead donor um, to put their name on the pavilion. And Mortimer said, without hesitation, absolutely. However, they all have to be free. You're not allowed to do ticketed events. You know, you're not allowed to charge people. And that's how the model was born in the 1970s. As he saw what actually happens on the lawn when you take that barrier of a ticket away, he was really kind of ahead of his time. He was almost a pioneer in creative placemaking and community building. And he saw how people became family, <clears throat> excuse me, on the lawn. Yes. They were sharing their picnics. They were enjoying music together and dancing. And they may not normally, they may not know each other. They may not live next door to each other and they became friends and family on the lawn. So he, his dream was to have 30 venues across the United States. Okay. And so he formalized the foundation in um, the early 2000s, late 1990s, early 2000s. And um, Levitt Arlington and Levitt Memphis were born and then Levitt LA came online shortly thereafter. So as it stands right now in 2020, we have eight venues, three I've mentioned. Uh, Bethlehem Steel Stacks came on and then there was Denver. We, I already mentioned actually Westport. Um, so that I mentioned, you know, yes, and then yeah. Dayton came on in 2018 and then Sioux Falls, South Dakota came on in 2019. Okay. Uh, there are four more in development in Fort Lauderdale, San Jose, Houston, and um, I think Tampa. Um, and that is the foundation board. We've, we've now lost Mimi and Mortimer. Um, they've both left us. Okay. Uh, Mimi just recently. And the foundation board for the Levitt Foundation has decided to cap it at 12. Okay. So the unless somebody leaves the network and opens an opportunity for another city, this is it. The way that the funding works is that um, 
the 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 build of the Capitol, you know, to, to actually build this permanent venue, the Levitt Foundation gave us five hundred thousand dollars as kind of a seed um, to start the Capitol campaign, and then local volunteers started to work in raising the money for. Um, it's actually a five point seven million dollar um, asset. Uh, and so they raised the money locally to create this beautiful space for us um, yeah, in downtown it's Dayton. It's a great space as well. Yeah, and we did it, um, not to brag, but I'm going to brag, it, Dayton, Ohio did it the fastest, uh, raised the money the fastest out of all of the cities that I mentioned. All right. So that's a real tribute to the philanthropic focus of this community. This community loves arts and culture. This community loves um, its downtown. You know, we are creating vibrancy and part of an economic uh, stimulation of the urban core. And we are also um, part of that revitalization piece. But the most important piece of who we are is about inclusion um and creating access so that everyone has access to music and yeah, um a yeah. high and a high caliber experience yeah and i want to uh, ask you who's responsible for booking the music at the M pavilion well i um i negotiate all of our contracts and what we do is um as a staff we we get lots of solicitations of people that are interested in being on the stage. Uh -huh. We do a little bit of research on them and um, I often ask um, for the opportunity to see them perform live if they're local. I go to booking conferences um, and you know there's a couple different booking conferences where I get to see showcasing of um, regional and national talent. And uh, we go from there. Uh, you know, I work with probably, I don't know, five to 10 um, national agencies that um, are really great to work with. But, you know, I probably get an email, I probably get 10 emails, you know, a day um, related to people that are, emails. yeah, interested in being on the stage. So, one of the key elements that people need to know is that we celebrate original music. We do not book cover bands or tribute bands. It's okay to cover a song um, in your set. And we want them to have, you know, a, a social media presence, a great website presence. They have to have EPs that people can either download or buy. Yeah. Um, and they have to be, touring they have to be doing more than just the local um club scene we'd like to see them developing their you know their journey and we want to because our hope is to lift them up and and, and give them a higher a higher platform absolutely um, so that's that's um that's kind of how the booking process goes absolutely and i have been to three concerts um the one of the big ones i went to was the breeders that's one of my favorite concerts from there Probably one of my favorite concerts I've ever been to in my life because they're great. Of course, some um, the, the Deal Twins, they are from the Ohio area, so they qualify for the local initiative he was going for, but they are nationally known. And I know sometimes you do you do bring in nationally known acts. So I guess one more follow-up question to that is, um, well, it might be easy for you to get local acts, but to get these bigger names, um, do, you, do you 
call them or do they call you? What happens with that? Well, I, I want to touch on the breeders because Kim and Kelly Deal were extremely excited about the Levitt Initiative, and yeah. they were involved in a lot of the fundraising. Their, their brother, Kevin Deal, is a board trustee, oh. and they just love what it represents. So they were really committed to playing the stage. Um, and we had people from Japan and Sweden um, here to see the breeders. Um, so that was kind of really exciting uh, for them to add to the legacy. Um, I, I typically, um, you know, as, again, being part of a network and having pavilions that have been around for 10 plus years, you learn from one another what national acts are affordable because uh, we pay every single person on that stage. Uh, we, you know, the shows are free, but we pay all of our artists. Yeah. So, you know, when people, I've had people say this to me, why can't you get Kenny Chesney? Well, Kenny <laughs> Chesney is a lot of money, you know. Um, so, you know, we kind of, from a budgetary standpoint, I mean, we're, we're just like everybody else. We have a budget. Um, we negotiate around that sweet spot of, of what we can afford. Now, granted, if we get somebody who's a little bit less than that sweet spot, then we might be able to afford somebody who's a little more expensive yeah, or has more notoriety. Yeah. So, um, and that kind of what we were able to negotiate with the breeders to have them be on the stage um, because we had a little bit left in the pot. So it's, it's, it's kind of, um, it's like playing chess. Uh, you know, you're you're working with the dates of your season, and then you're also um, we we try to be really intentional about being diverse in our genres, so that you're having somebody different on a Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night, and they're all you know like different genres. Um, we're trying to support local and regional talent, but also bring in some national talent. So there's a lot of moving parts. One of the things that really gives us um, lens to our success is that we are really located in a great place. As you all know, we're, you know, the intersection of 70 and 75. Anybody can get to here from Nashville in under five hours. We are people who are coming from LA and going cross country, you know, Dayton is a great stop. Um, Chicago, New York, you know, Austin. I mean, even from Canada, we've been in a great location that as people are plotting their tour, it's called routing. Dayton makes sense. And that helps us get maybe people we couldn't afford at a more affordable rate because why why not stop in Dayton, do a gig on their way to the, you know, the big festival or, yeah. you know, a bigger yeah. event. So it's really, it, it's a really, it's really crazy. It's, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun because you get ex exposed to a lot of amazing talent. I mean, we, there's so much talent um, and it's fun to discover some of that. Uh, we've had some people, yeah. Devin Gilfillian, I think he was part of our 2018 series season. 
And like the following year, he was opening for people at the Rose. And, you know, he's really kind of making a name for himself. And I don't think we could afford him now. So that's kind of the exciting stuff that when you bring somebody in and then you start to see them getting traction in their career um, and making a name for themselves, uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Lisa, if I donate a million dollars to you, Lee Chesney, yeah, yeah. If you gave me a million dollars, I would. Oh, that's that probably now. what it would take. <laughs> yes, I'll do that right now. I'm on it. All but right, I'll, a, wait for, I'll wait job. for the check. Hey. Okay. All right, absolutely. I said I'll wait for that check. Yeah, she'll be waiting for that check. It'll, it'll come. I promise. It won't bounce. But anyway, um, but you okay. have a cool job. I love music, and I work with the podcast I do. I have had a chance to communicate with all of any musicians. I do play some tracks on my shows, most episodes. And I was a DJ for Wright State, so I have a strong with local musicians, and I go to a lot of concerts, so I love it. Your job is awesome. You get to negotiate all this. I hope one day, whenever you pass the torch, I hope someone gives me a call, because I wouldn't mind having that job if it ever opens up. I love it. Yeah, I do. I have an awesome job. Uh, you have to remember that there are a lot of other elements to the job. I have to raise the money to afford all of that uh, with our team, as well as um, make sure that all the other parts are going. So yeah, that's a pretty fun and sexy part of my job. And a lot of people are envious about it. And it is, it's really fantastic. But there's so many other things. And I love them all equally because I get to be out in the community and engaging with people I'm so passionate about this mission and what the impact that we're actually having. Um, You know, I think one of my favorite concerts only because of this story was Ruthie Foster. She's a blues guitarist that was part of our first inaugural season. And she was um, backstage and I hadn't paid her yet. And I was looking for her and she, I knocked on her dressing door, dressing room door. And she's like, you know, can come in here and sit with me for a second. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, I, I play a lot of venues. She's like a lot. I even play a lot of Levitt pavilions. And she said, what just happened out there? She's like, you know, the venues that I play, white folks sit with white folk and black folks sit with black folk. She's like, I, whatever y'all are doing here in Dayton, Ohio, this is what the world needs more of. And she said, I have to be a part of this. This, this is amazing. Yes. And I said, you know, I got kind of choked up and I said, it's so funny that you say that because when you were singing your encore, I was off to the side of the stage and I was watching the lawn and everyone was up dancing together. And I got very emotional and I dismissed it because I thought, oh, I'm just tired because I just, we've been working so hard to open this venue on time that I'm just being, you know, silly. And she said, no, no, no. I felt it too. And I did not want to stop playing. She said, that's love. And I said, exactly. There's love coming off the lawn. How do you explain that? (laughs) to people you know who you're trying to get to support the mission yes and she said please like bring me back with my band next year so fast forward to 2019 we're booking the season i reach out to her agent i you know kind of explain to him i'd 
like to bring her with her band. And of course, when you add, you know, Grammy award-winning musicians to Ruthie Foster, it tripled the price. And I said to the agent, I, you know, we can't, we're not there yet. I can't afford this price, but would you send a note to Ruthie and remind her of this conversation that we had in her dressing room? And sure enough, she negotiated it down to where we met kind of in the middle. And um, the best part of that too, was that those two Grammy award-winning artists that she brought with her were sitting in the green room afterwards, speechless. They said, what the heck is going on? This was amazing. They're like, we've never felt that kind of love before. That was awesome. And they they were encouraging, you know, they were saying, keep up the work. This is, this is going to create real change. And, you know, I mean, of course I echo back to all of our artists, like you're part of this too. Music is the unifier. Music is the equalizer. You know, you don't notice how rich somebody is or how educated they are or what car they drive when you're connected to enjoying music together and dancing. And, um, that's, that's the secret sauce. Like that's what I think, you know, we, our hope is that we're going to make that river disappear in, in Dayton and that everybody comes together on that Levitt lawn as family. And we realize that we're more alike than we are different. And that's, that's the real change that we're hoping for. Lisa, I gotta ask you, are you familiar with Mark Jepsen? Yeah, I am. I figured you would be. Yeah, that guy's a genius. Um, he does the um his Tuesday radio show at the um, University of Dayton. And I've been on his show once, um, to promote my show. And yeah, he's great. So I was just curious if you met him. I imagine you would have now. Um but has he um how how many concerts do you think he's been to? I know he's probably been to a bunch. You know, I don't know. I'm not real sure. Um I imagine he's been at least 30 or 40. Yeah, I would. I mean, I'm sure that he's there regularly. Yeah, he has to be. Um, When I ask you this, with that, um, in 2020, we had COVID-19 hit the country. A lot of things had to be canceled. And, of course, we now have to practice social distancing. And it's put a big camper on these big, large audiences that we were used to from years ago. And, of course, I want to ask you, how does that affect um the Levette Pavilion and Dayton. Now how have you guys adjusted to that change? So um yeah this has been a really hard year for us. Yes. We had the season fully booked um by February uh so that you know we could start marketing it and of course in March everything started coming to a halt and yes. we um we put everything on hold and really started to think that we would be scaling back the season month by month uh, as we watch the pandemic unfold. And I had um, frequent conversations with the Department of Public Health and the commissioner and also other venues, to, you know, what, are, what is everybody doing? We really thought that because we were an outdoor venue that we would be able to pull it off. We had a full plan, blown safety plan um, that we took to the Department of Health. They signed off on it, but then Montgomery County hit level three 
Yes. And they wouldn't allow us to proceed with opening um, because they were afraid of, you know, widespread. Um, so we started moving. I mean, really everybody that we had planned for our 2020 season, I I'm working on that right now is pushing them to 2021. Um, so mm -hmm. some people are not interested in touring in 21, especially if they're from Canada. Um, but then there are a lot of artists that are ready. They're they perform right now if we ask them to they're they're ready to go so we are moving forward um of course you know i want to go back to 2020 and say that you know the conversations that were happening in the background with our amazing board of trustees and our staff and our production crew were how do you deliver mission? How do you deliver community building and being connected without an activated venue? Yeah. And then that's how our virtual series was born. Um, we, we didn't have footage of anybody playing on the Levitt Dayton stage. So we worked with uh, Jeremy Mix from Encore um, to do our filming and our production crew led by Keith Thomas. Um, and the guys were amazing. And we, of course, wanted to employ and lift up and gig, give gigs to our local artists who, you know, were not gigging. And nice. that, again, was a mixed bag. There were some that had not, you know, rehearsed. They were super worried about they have high vulnerability in their, you know, in the group and they didn't want to risk it. And we were very respectful to that. Um, so we filmed 17, um, different bands on the stage. We started in July and we actually just finished with Zach Sliver of Yuppie on election night. Um, yeah. and we're going to try to, you know, all of that content is sitting on our YouTube channel and our Facebook page that people can go back and listen to all of the content anytime they want, which is really kind of fun. Um, I actually, during the day while I'm working, I'll, you know, I'll put somebody on um, and just let, you know, have that playing in the background instead of my Spotify or um, something else. But, um, and then we also did education and outreach, um, you know, where we've been committed to taking artists into under-resourced and at-risk, at um, you know, neighborhoods and, and uh, camps that support youth. Yes. Um, we did an, a songwriting, a couple songwriting camps, and we did it all virtually. And, you know, these young students got to collaborate and create. Uh, again, what's really fun and fantastic about it is that we had kids from all over the Dayton area that may not have crossed paths had they not been participating in the songwriting workshop and they had such an incredible experience that they wanted to keep going um, and you know keep honing their craft and keep working together because there was a real synergy so we offered a fall program uh, they're meeting on Saturdays um, through the fall and then we're going to showcase their songwriting um, on December 1st so lots of fun things came I mean, there are some great things that came out of this season. And, um, you know, I think you learn, you know, the, 
really it came down to do you stay paralyzed or do you move? You have to move. You keep need to keep moving forward. Yeah, move. Music, you know, music needs to happen. Um, you know, even our Montgomery County Health Commissioner was committed to getting the Levitt open because he was concerned about people's mental health during the pandemic and knew that music was going to be something that would lift people up. So he said, if we can get you open, we will get you open. So, you know, it's just a real testament to um, everyone, you know, following what we need to follow so we can all be back together. And, and so we're planning to open June 3rd um, and we are committed to having concerts every Thursday, Friday and Saturday until the end of September cool. for 2021. Cool. And I hope it goes off. I hope, I hope that, Big things happen because I think for 2021, they are hoping for a vaccine to finally be available to the United States of America. They've been working on that. I think once that comes out, I know well some people are indifferent to a vaccine, but if people can get their medicine, they're going to feel much better about being out. And I think that's when we'll start seeing steps into normalcy that we had back in 2019 and before when people were out in the world, they could go to big concerts, you know, hug one another. And I hope that um, that does happen because I definitely want to catch some more concerts at the Pavilion. And it sounds like you guys have big plans. Um, but you know what? I want to talk to you about something else that you're going to be involved with. Um, of course, when this episode airs, it will have already happened on your end. But you're going to be hosting the first night of TEDx Dayton, which at TEDx is one of the big um, conferences of the world. They have them in every big city. You're going to be hosting. So how did that come about for you to to host the night of TEDx talks. Yeah, I was really um, humbled and, and honored to be asked to be one of the four hosts because there's four different nights, yeah, four um, nights. and we you know, and I'm on the November 10th. I was uh, able to be the host of that evening and then have a uh, greater dialogue with Deja Demings um, about her talk and. Um, you know, Sankofa and, and how that, the legacy of that African term. And so it was really, um, you know, I love TEDx. I think it's, um, TEDx Dayton is so important because it, it really amplifies and lifts the community voices that really need to be heard. Yes. Um, and yes. I think as people who are, you know, listening and watching, I think it opens our minds to maybe things that we've not thought about and provoke us to maybe think about things differently or maybe learn about something completely new that you didn't know about. Um, one of the young men um, on, our, on my night is, talks about the professional or the um, college athletes and how it's monetized yeah. and the exploitation of that. And I, and that was fascinating. So, I mean, all of them, you know, all four, the only ones that I've, I've seen are the four that I was hosting and all four were exceptional. Um, so yeah. I'm sure that the other three nights um, are definitely going to deliver um, because that's the, you know, that's the, the bar that TEDx Dayton holds um when they they audition everybody so but I want to ask we're you, very lucky 
Um, I want to ask you, do you have a favorite TEDx speech, whether it's one you saw in person or, when you, or what you saw online? Do you have a favorite one? Oh, gosh. Um, I have so many. Okay. I, yeah, I don't know that I could name just one. Um, you know, the one that I think has stuck with me the most is probably Simon Sinek. Um, and then uh, Brene Brown. I mean, there's, you know, there's so many from a national perspective, but there were some that I've seen locally that like made me cry and, and, and you know, really inspired me. So I, I, I can't, nope, I can't just choose one. That's fine. It's kind of like Pringles. You can't just eat one. You got to eat yeah. all of them. Yeah. You got to eat all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that being said, I want to promote TEDx a little bit because just, now, when this episode airs, once again, the first night would have happened, but there's going to be four different nights, and it's going to be free of charge for people to go online. They can visit. Um, well, I, well, I did want to ask you, where can for this TEDx Day event, where can people go online to see, and how can they get logged in to view these speeches? What happens? From what I understand, it's through a link on the TEDx Dayton website. Um oh and then or through their facebook page yes or i think through their youtube channel so it's similar to what we did with our virtual series and i think that you can get the link but i would i would really recommend um, that people subscribe to their newsletter and that way you're getting updates and you know when things are happening so absolutely so it'd be tedx dayton is it .org or .com I think it's .org. I'm .org. not real sure. Yeah, I think so. Because people volunteer for that, so I think it's a .org. But, yeah. I will link, but I will definitely link that in the description of this episode, and I'll also link the website to the Levet Pavilion of Dayton. I'll, that'll be linked in the description. It's actually, Daniel, it's TEDxDayton.com. TEDxDayton.com. All right. Thank you for the update. So it is a .com. I was wrong, but that's fine. Um so yes, but yes, once again, you'll be hosting the first night, and then there'll be three other nights with other hosts. Um, now, Lisa, before I let you go, I've had a wonderful talk with you, and you do a lot of great things in this community. Besides, after TEDx, um, what else is going to be coming up for you that people should care about? Well, I mean, I think that the big thing is I look forward to seeing everybody back down at the venue next season. Um, yeah. That's a you know, that's kind of a big focus of what um, we're working on behind the scenes and uh, right now. So I hope that everyone will consider joining us and um, maybe subscribing to our newsletter so you don't miss a beat. And yeah, um, I really appreciate you giving us the opportunity to talk to everybody today. Yes. Yeah, so and I want to thank you for letting me talk to you because you're a fascinating person. And people out there, yes, you got to donate to the Levitt Dayton Pavilion. Donate to them so they can book acts like Kenny Chesney and MC Hammer. Anyone that you want, you got to donate the money. So, well, now, now hold on a second. I don't know about, uh, we're going to have to, we're going to get selective there. I'm, I, oh. MC Hammer, I'm not sure. Wasn't he like a one hit wonder? I don't know. If he, it was a big <laughs> I don't know if he show. can do 90 minutes, but. He still, he does his retro tours, so he could do it for enough money. But, any, but that's him, and but like I said, any, you know, the, things grow when you donate money. So, and you guys really need the money to make these concerts happen. 
And of course, you guys, you guys have ex- I, I, I must say this: you have really excellent equipment. Because when I was at these concerts, I noticed that beside, I mean, this plays outside all the time. You got that big stage. You got lights that are above the stage. And of course, you have speakers. Like on the night that you have your concerts, you have to lay out the speakers. You guys pick. You guys have good taste in the equipment. It looks really good. Considering what you well, have thanks. Therapy. We we yeah. definitely um, we definitely invested in the best when we built it because yes, we did. wanted the best for our community. So we hope that um, it delivers for everyone. And I can tell you that a lot of our local artists, after performing on that stage, they're a little um, tongue-tied afterwards because they've never really played to that big of a venue. And um, they're they're like I need a moment, um, and it's kind of fun to watch. So you know, it's it's exciting. We have an amazing music scene in Dayton, Ohio, and I encourage everyone to support all of the venues right now because they're all hurting. Yes, yeah, um, you know, save, let's save all of our stages and support Brightside and and all, you know OE and Trolley and Blind Bobs and you know Yellow Cab. All of those places need us um, to lift them up because we want that we want that to be around so that our artists have a place that they can gig and play. Yes, absolutely. Well, Lisa, it's been my pleasure. I want to thank you, and I like I said, I hope all the great things happen to all your projects. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. This is when I lived over on the east side of Dayton and I had a really cool window that overlooked the whole like downtown and this was just a song I wrote one day.
this episode of Ohio's on Fire, you've been listening to live music performances from the Etchelberger concert season that's been taking place at the Levitt Pavilion of Dayton, Ohio. First, I played a track from Amber Hargett in the Who's Who, and in the middle of the interview I had of Lisa Wagner, I played a live track from Subbertarian, played back-to-back music tracks that was performed live from Allison Justice. It's now time for OHMVP! That stands for Ohio's Most Valuable Pedestrian. Ooh, ah. So, yes, this OMVP goes to a person, place, or thing that's related to the state of Ohio. And there's always a backstory that goes with this. And I'll read this news article. This comes from abc6onyourside.com. This is written by Jesse Starkey. And I'll, I'll read this article verbatim so I may not get all the words correctly. Ohio native and Cedarville University graduate Rachel Hartley has never forgotten where she comes from. This is a quote from her. I am a very proud Buckeye. She said her roots and education have helped her through the most grueling year yet in her nursing career. Hartley, a 2015 Cedarville University nursing and 2020 Master of Science in Nursing, family nurse practitioner, alumna, took a job as a travel nurse in the spring when the worst of COVID-19 hit the state. She first traveled to New York City to care for patients there. And a quote from her, The first month I was in New York City, every single patient that I cared for ended up passing away, Hartley said. It was absolutely devastating. So many of these patients are staring down the face of death. I have to offer them hope, no matter what the outcome is. From NYC, she traveled to Connecticut to help. Now she is caring for patients on St. Thomas Island in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Hartley works as an intensive care unit at Schrider Regional Medical Center. And another quote, it is a small island, Hartley said. Any COVID-19 cases that they have really impact the island in a big way. There is only one hospital and we have limited resources. She said the past nine months have felt like a marathon. The emotional and mental stress healthcare workers face is draining. Another quote, just to see this much loss of life is so saddening. She said she relies on her fellow co-workers and her faith to pull her through. To have the support and community of other nurses is amazing. We always talk things through. I am also a person of faith. My faith in the Lord is the main thing that has gotten me through. She grows worried for her home state as COVID-19 cases continue to rise. She hopes Ohio will take action to beat the virus. And another quote from her, I'm praying for Ohio in my hometown. COVID-19 is still here. It is winter. We all want to cozy up indoors. We have to be smart. Wear your mask. Practice hand hygiene, and social distance. It is so important now. We are seeing this again and again in the hospital. That's what you call a warrior right there. We here at Hiles on Fire, we salute Rachel Hartley. You for this episode. You are OHMVP. That stands for Ohio's Most Valuable Pedestrian. Round of applause. Until the next episode, Lisa Wagner in Nurses of Ohio. That's the way it is.